I am so overjoyed to see y'all's faces. This has been a long time coming. And we are honored to have you guys here. This is a great blessing for us. What you guys do in the way that you bless our people that will remain when it's time to go back home will reap us blessings for years, decades to come. Generations are being affected because of the effect that you have on the people that call this place home. It's immeasurable, the effect that you guys are having on our people. And for that, we are eternally grateful. Just by you being you, just by doing what you do, we're so glad that you guys are here. Pastor Eric, Pastor Wade, Pastor Matt, thank you guys for the sacrifice that you have made pouring into the people of your church, LCM. Thank you guys for taking the word so seriously. Charlie and Joellen, thank you guys. Where are you? Can't see you. Charlie and Joellen, love you guys so much. Baj and Natalie, where are you guys at? Thank you guys so much for loving the king the way that you do. Justin and Lynn, thank you guys for loving the Lord the way that you do. Zeke and Kathleen, thank y'all. Mike, Buddy, Radu, Brent, Teresa, thank you guys for loving the Lord the way that you do. We can sing heaven is all around us and I think everyone in this room is like, yeah, heaven is all around us right now. But it's because of all the sacrifices and the faithfulness combined in one room and that feels like heaven. Weren't y'all thinking that when we were singing that? Heaven is all around us. Were y'all also thinking that? Yeah, heaven is all. This is what heaven is. Weren't y'all thinking? That's, yeah, that's why we were thinking it. Because there's a whole bunch of faithful people. And faithfulness is filling the room. And his faithfulness is meeting our faithfulness. And it's, it's heaven. So thank y'all for being here. We love y'all so much. This morning we heard a fantastic word. The theme this year is restoring desolate inheritances. And a secondary theme is never leaving the ice. That principle of restoring desolate inheritances. Those are three really big words. And what I want to do is I want to break down those three words. And then I want us to study Jacob and Joseph. And we're going to see some dynamics between those two. And we're going to compare it with our lives and see what had to be done for a desolate inheritance to be restored. Tonight, as we look at these details and these dynamics, what I am praying, what we are praying as we do this together is that you would see yourself in this story. I was so excited to hear Nick and Judah and Peyton and Justin share about the vision that the Lord has given them and the way that he is bringing it about. I know that you guys were excited to hear that as well. It moved me to tears as I heard the story again. Pastor Eric shared it with us in our living room and I cried then. And then I read it on the computer on Wikipedia and I cried then. And then they did it tonight, a drama here in our church, the first drama in this church. 
and from you guys, no doubt. I would have expected that from us. From some of us. <laughs> and I cried again. There is something about hearing someone share how the Lord has given them a vision and he's putting bones to it and then flesh on it. And it's now beginning to get up and move. And you can see there's something exciting about that. How many of you, as you were listening, were wondering about your own mission, vision, calling? Raise your hand if that was you. Don't be shy. Yeah. You're listening to it and you're going, oh, that's really great for them. I'm really excited about that for them. But Lord, what am I supposed to do? That's what we're talking about tonight. We actually believe that unless we all get to that place, that we will eventually get to a place where we're not willing to sacrifice what he's asking us to. It's unsustainable, in fact, if we don't get the vision like that. So tonight as we dig into it, I want to I define desolate, deserted of people and in a state of bleak and dismal emptiness. Desolate. Bleak and dismal emptiness. To restore means to bring back or reinstate. An inheritance, obviously, is something that an heir receives. Something that is given to you. Something was given to you. And something happened. And it became desolate. And the Lord wants to restore it. Tonight, by the end of this, my hope is that we all are seeking his face. Our hope is that we all are seeking his face and that he is showing us his desires for our lives. And we are all settled once and for all about what he is calling us to. It may have to take many steps to get specified and to become clear, but we all will be on that journey realizing that I can't live unless you show me your face. I can't live without your presence. I can't live without you telling me where I'm going, what we're doing, what's happening. Give me a picture of my inheritance, Lord. Begin that process of restoration in me. So without further ado, let's go to Genesis 28 and let's begin looking at the promises that Jacob received from the Lord. Let's read in uh, verse 13 through 15, please. It says, There above it stood the Lord. Jacob is having a dream at Bethel. And the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done 
what I have promised you. I would offer up that this is Jacob's inheritance. This is his true inheritance because this is given to him by God. Now leading up until this point, Jacob's had a crazy life. Jacob was born a twin. Many of y'all know the story. I'm going to lead up to it because we're going somewhere with it. Jacob was born a twin. His brother Esau, as he grew up, is called a skillful hunter. The only other person called a skillful hunter like that was Nimrod. One way to look at those two words, skillful hunter together, one commentary described it as stone cold killer. Esau, his brother, stone cold killer. Jacob was a man of the house. He liked to cook. So Jacob is cooking like he does. And Esau comes in famished from stone cold killing. And Jacob is asked for some of his food that he's prepared. And he says, I'll do it, but give me your birthright. Esau is starving. He doesn't have time to care about something silly like a birthright. Take my birthright. Just give me that soup. And so he gets the birthright. Down the road, Jacob steals his blessing from his father. He deceives his father and takes the blessing while Esau is out stone cold killing. He comes back, finds out what happens. He weeps. A grudge is formed in his heart and he says, I'm going to murder my brother as soon as my dad dies. So Jacob, a chef, is now going to be hunted by a stone cold killer. He hears word of this and is told to leave and go find a wife in a land that's about 500 miles away. So under the guise of going to look for a wife, he travels about 25 days away. Put some good distance between him and the stone cold killer. Once he gets there, he finds Laban, who is a deceiver. His name means white and gentle, but he is anything but. He's a hard man. And the reason Jacob is willing to live with him is because he sees a beautiful lady. And her name is Rachel. Jacob gets all awkward. He goes and pushes a big stone away. Then he runs up and gives her a kiss. And then he starts crying. I can relate with that awkwardness. Sometimes I just don't know what to do. But he falls in love with her. Now you might think Jacob stays and works for his wife for seven years. For what turns out to be 14 years. Because he just loves her that much. But remember, back home is a stone cold killer. He's got some time to kill. So he offers to work for Rachel. He works for seven years. And then on the wedding night, he's presented with Leah, the ugly one. No, no, no. Don't worry. Don't feel bad. He ends up hating her. He gets Rachel after that week, but then has to work for Rachel for another seven years. So now 14 years. But remember, he's also killing time. So he's lost his family because he can't go back home. Even though technically because of the deals that he made, that's where he's supposed to be. 
But he's now away and he gets a new family. When he finds out what Laban did by giving him Leah instead of Rachel, he says, you deceived me. He's surprised that anyone would deceive another human being. But he ends up saying in Genesis 29, 31. What does y'all's version say? Not loved. Leah is not loved. Y'all know that not loved there means hated. The ESV says hated. Oh, man. Here we go. How many of y'all have NIV in here? Does anyone have? How many, wait now. How many have ESV in here? Yeah, come on. The Eric Stevens verified. <laughs> yeah. So now imagine this. Jacob has lost his family. He's traveled 500 miles away from home. He's got nothing. The new family that he's in, Laban says, you're my flesh and blood. We're family. Well, now his new family is deceiving him and taking advantage of him. He's got nothing. He has nothing. Rachel, the only one that he actually wanted, is now not his only wife. He's also got her ugly sister. And Rachel can't have kids. So Bilhah and Zilpah, the maidservants, are given. He doesn't love them either. He doesn't love any of them. He wants to be back home. And now the only one that he actually loves, Rachel, can't have kids. Rachel is all that he loves in this moment. Rachel becomes everything to him. Rachel bears him a son, finally. The Lord opens her womb and gives her a son, Joseph. And her prayer is, may the Lord add to me another son. Joseph is now his firstborn son in his eyes, his favorite son. He has 10 other sons. Joseph is number 11, but the favorite son is Joseph. A little bit later, some time passes and Laban's done all the taking advantage of him that he can. Jacob flees and they make sure Rachel steals the idols from the house and they're leaving and they're traveling away from that place. Jacob is trying to head home, trying to head back to his homeland. Now that he's become a rich man, the Lord increases his flocks. Still, all his favor, all his love belongs to Rachel and now Joseph. Well, a little bit later, Rachel has another child. Ben-Oni is what she names him. Son of my affliction or suffering. And Rachel dies in childbirth. Jacob renames that child Benjamin. Who do you think becomes Joseph's or Jacob's favorite people? Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph is his favorite son, so much so that he gives him a beautiful coat. It was a way of saying, I love him, not so much y'all. He's my favorite, you're not. He's the best, you're the worst. This is my favorite son. I'm not making that up, I'm not even exaggerating. They saw that he was the favorite and they hated him for it because they recognized it too. In fact, look at Genesis 37. 
Look at verse 2. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, which is the age that people have the least grace for someone, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to them, to him. And so what happens? His brothers take him and they sell him off into slavery. When they bring their father news of Joseph's death, look in 37 verse 35. Let's start reading in verse 33. The brothers deceive Jacob. Who could deceive another human being? But the brothers deceive Jacob. And they bring him the favorite robe dipped in blood. He says in verse 33, It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. Now, not to infer anything into the text, but maybe, just maybe his brothers might have been thinking, maybe we'll get our dad back. He'll stop being so delusional about this 17-year-old and he'll recognize that the other 10 of us are pretty good too. We do a lot of hard work. We've tried to protect our sister when she got raped. Sure, one of us slept with a concubine. That's neither here nor there. Maybe we'll get our father back and he'll love us the same way. That's me inferring a little bit. But listen to what Jacob refer, says in response to this. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. And so his father wept for him. Joseph was now gone. Who becomes Jacob's favorite? His only one left. Benjamin. Why? He's the only thing left of Rachel that he's still got. And all of his love and his affection transfer to Benjamin. Amen. We're talking about one thing tonight. It's the idea of restoring a desolate heart. Restoring a desolate heart. I want you to turn to Genesis 45, verse 26. And when you're there, say Justin Johnson. I've never met a man who can drink water as he's preaching and have his voice get more gravelly. The Cajun flavor here was amazing. Justin Johnson. I'm, I'm so glad you guys are here. Seriously, I'm so glad you guys are here. We were so blessed being down by y'all the last time for the last association. I mean, we were so glad that you're here. And so I want to talk about restoring a desolate heart because what I'm hoping right now is that the Lord will highlight to you if your heart is in a place of desolation. 
if you are in fact operating as though everything is fine, but in reality your heart is desolate and you are waiting for God to revive a dead heart. You're waiting for God to pump life into you once again. I want you to read verse 26. It says this. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. This is the end of this, uh, what, where Nick kind of left off. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. It says, and his heart became numb. Maybe your version says, and he was stunned, for he did not believe them. When we see the word numb or stunned, uh, when we're talking about desolate, Isaiah 49, 8, shamem, it's waste stunned. It's this idea of being in paralysis. If you didn't know, uh, Crystal Lake this time of year is the land of stink bugs. Stink bugs and angry liberals. Two things. Kind of the same. I, I don't feel bad. See, the thing about stink bugs, you guys have those down south? You have them in D.C.? See, it's lose-lose. You swat them. They pee and they stink. You let them live and they pee and they stink. The thing about a stink bug is you can flick it and it will go to the ground and you think you're safe because it's in paralysis. But just give it time because it's going to wake up and it's going to pee and it's going to stink. Come on, you see where I'm going? See, we can come to a place where our hearts become hardened to the point where we're in paralysis. Where nothing kind of comes in, nothing goes out. We just feel numb. Our heart becomes desolate. You see what Jacob says. You see the condition of his heart. His heart became numb. Why did it become numb? If you look at verse 26. For he did not believe them. I want to tell you, our heart becomes desolate when we let what we see inform our belief instead of letting what we believe transform what we see. That's what I said earlier. That's John eleven forty. Did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? A desolate heart starts when our circumstances start to inform and package a doctrine around what we believe instead of letting our belief drive what we see. That's how a desolate heart starts to take place. What I want to do is talk about the path to a desolate heart. Because see, death or, or desolate heart is kind of like sin. You know, you don't fall into sin. You walk down an ivory staircase into it. And see, a desolate heart is the same way. It's choice after choice after choice 
After rejection of encouragement, after rejection of the things of the Lord, another bad choice, and you get to a place where your heart is completely numb. And I want to tell you, if, if this is resonating with you right now, God wants to bring your heart back to life so that you can serve him, that you can get back on track. We can talk again about obedience and sacrifice, that he can fill you with joy once again. That's what he does. What I want to do is I want to look at three things really quick. That Jacob intentionally took for himself that led him down the staircase to a desolate heart. Do you feel like the joy you once had is gone? I want to ask you this evening, the joy, the fervor, the intensity, the urgency that you once had in the kingdom, is it still there? If it is absent, I want to suggest to you that you may be operating with a desolate heart. Has your vision been swept away? The things that you were once so sure the Lord spoke this, and I'm to go after this, and this is the plan, this is what he's given me, this is how it's been confirmed by my brothers and my sisters, and this is what's in the word of God. Has that vision been swept away? Have you given up on it? Have you retreated from the things of the Lord into comfort, into entertainment? If so, I would like to suggest to you that you are operating with a desolate heart. How do we get there? Here's the first thing. We get there through limited love. If you want to flip over uh, right now, we're going to come there in a second to Genesis 35. 16 through 21. But what Nick was saying before is that Jacob had a limited love. He said, I am going to choose you, Rachel. I am going to choose you, Joseph. And I'm going to choose you, Benjamin. But everyone outside of that, I have nothing for you. In Genesis 29, 18 through 30, it, it says, Ahave, it's, it's love, it's Hebrew for love. Jacob loved Rachel. In Genesis 37, 3 and 4, Jacob loved Joseph. In uh, Genesis 44, 20, Jacob loved Benjamin. We see all these, but his love is limited. What we're going to look at is limited love is the fuel for idol factories in our heart. When we limit the love, see, the problem is 1 Corinthians 13, 7 and 8 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. I want to talk to the people who are in leadership right now. Could you read this and declare this and have it be true? Because there are times when we can get worn out, where we can get exhausted, where we can start to feel despair. And instead of love bearing all things, it love bears some things. Love believes a few things. Love hopes a couple things and love endures minimal things. that is true for you, you're operating with a desolate heart. Is your love limited? Do you love people based on their performance? 
Do you love people based on what they do in the ministry, what they do for you, how they interact with you, the, the number, the scale of problems that they have? Is that something that fluctuates the scale of love that you have for people? Do you have limited love for your wife? You can go out and you can minister and you can give someone a, a top-notch word straight from the throne room of heaven, but you can't even pray for 10 minutes with your wife. That you can't even read your son or your daughter a Bible story before they go to sleep. That you can't sit down with your brothers and sister who you've been going to war with and just say, hey, this passage is for you. Let me speak into your life just for five minutes. Have you limited your love for people? Like I said, limited love is the fuel for idle factories. Let's look at Genesis 35, 16 through 21. Nope, say Justin Johnson. Justin Johnson. It says, Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. We talked before about this limited love and how it produced idolatry in Jacob's heart toward the people that he loved. We're going to see this just in a little bit when uh, the, the idea comes up to send Benjamin. And he's like, no, I'm not going to send Benjamin. He's the only one I have. You see this in some of his behavior toward Rachel. It says, so Rachel died in verse 19. And she was buried on the way to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. Who was born in Bethlehem? Pretty basic, right? I'm telling you, where we bury our idols can be the same place where a king is born. The place you bury your idols can be the same place that a king arises. Our hope for our time today is that idols are going to be buried at this altar. And that a king would step forth in that place and demonstrate his power over sin. His power over darkness. And that you would arise as a son, as a daughter, with a new walk, with a new identity, with a new royal inheritance, because you've encountered the king of kings. But a king can be born only when an idol is buried. I want you to think these two things are connected. Is there something... That you've set apart saying, no, I will only love this. 
my affection goes toward this. I don't have it for that or for that or for that. It's only going toward this. And if you can highlight that, and I pray the Spirit would do that, if you can identify that right now, right now, you could say that that would be an idol in your life. Do you have to bury any idols tonight? See, just because uh, the Holy Spirit was moving earlier doesn't mean we're done. It doesn't mean we finished because the Lord is speaking something to our churches and it's that we're not going to take a no for an answer. Amen. We're done. That when we pray for people to be filled with the Spirit who are coming to Him with shameless audacity and saying, God, fill me that we are not going to take no for an answer because the Word of God says yes. Don't take no for an answer. Someone asked you, did you get all the sin out of your heart? Have you, have you buried every idol that you came in with? Don't accept no for an answer. Amen. That's not who we are. Amen. Limited love. How do I get to a place where my heart becomes desolate, where it becomes numb? It's limiting your love. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. You want to demonstrate your love for me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Pastors, ministers, elders, deacons, that's what we're called to do. Home group leaders, that's what we're called to do. We're called to express our love through obedience and sacrifice in feeding the sheep of God. God forbid when the sheep become a burden and not a blessing. We don't want to walk around with a desolate heart. The staircase to a desolate heart, the first step is limited love. Here's the second thing. Let's go to Genesis 35, 22. One verse down. Justin Johnson. I hope this sticks, Justin. Yeah. If the first stair was limited love, here's the second stair. Sheltered sin. When Israel lived in the land, Reuben went and lay with Bilah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. And then he punched Reuben's teeth in. No. What does yours say after he heard of it? He did nothing. He sheltered it. He let it slide. You want to know if you have a desolate heart? Are you sheltering sin inside of you? When something is obviously not of God, are you sheltering it? Are you protecting it? When sin is happening in your body, in your congregation, are you sheltering it? Are you protecting it? Because if you are, you are walking around with a desolate numb heart. He shelters it. See, Jacob already saw one birthright given up, and now he sees it happen with his son. But he just lets it go. He doesn't remove him from the camp. He does nothing. He shelters it. I just want to make it known publicly that I love Buddy Brasso with all my heart. 
I love Buddy so much. My wife and I, we have the joy of sheltering them at our house. We were able to go to Peru with a team of guys. If, if you went to Peru, uh, can you just stand for a second? Stand like a bold man. There we go. Come on. We had an opportunity to be sheltered at Buddy's house, to be under the protection of his ministry. I tell you what, the things that are happening, you guys can sit down. The things that are happening in Peru, in Chivai right now, are absolutely amazing. Buddy is a relational guru. He walks around and about 15 people say hi and, and they, they talk to him. And Buddy knows each story. He knows each story. He knows each family. He can even recount how many times he's invited them to church, how many times he sat down with him. And to be with someone like that is absolutely inspiring. And it was an honor to, to be under the shelter of his ministry, the shelter of his household, because there was a protection knowing that this is a man of God, and what he says he does, he actually does, and he's sacrificing, and he's putting everything on the line so the name of Jesus Christ can be lifted up in Shavai. You can find such a comfort in shelter like that. See, the problem is we can get to a similar spot with our sin. That we can find actually comfort in sheltering things because the thought of exposing it or bringing it into the light is so anxiety-ridden that we can't even deal with it. God, but if I call this couple out with sin, they're going to probably leave the church and we've had so much relationally invested in them. How are we going to do this? Don't find comfort in that. Find comfort in what the Word of God says. Amen. He is our comforter. He will not let us down. He will not let us down. Your heart becomes desolate when you shelter sin, when you protect sin, when you let it live, when you feed it, when you tuck it in at night. Your heart becomes desolate. Have you been sheltering sin in your life? Anything that you've been protecting, anything that you've been hiding. When you invite people into the house of your soul, you say you can go in this room, in this room, in this room, but please don't go into this room. Look at everything before you, but please don't, don't go there. It's, it's really unkept and it's really untidy and it's kind of embarrassing. Please don't go there. That is sheltered sin and it is leading you to a place of desolation. Kick it out of your house. Send it the eviction notice right now. Throw out all of its clothes. We're not going to shelter sin. Limited love shelters sin. Let's go to Genesis 42. You guys are quick. So you can do things like that when the guy preaches before you. Because I removed all the leverage now. And it's... You learn these things. Okay. 
It says Wendy. Yeah. yeah, who's up next? Yeah, I know. I let my secret out. My secret has been unsheltered. It says when Jacob, back to the text. It says when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. I want you to go down to verse 38 real quick. I just want to talk about, about Benjamin for a second. It says, but he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to Sheol. He said, if anything happened to him, I would absolutely die. Pastor Nick touched on this just for a second. Imagine being one of the brothers that this was being spoken to. See, not only limited love or sheltered sin, but here's the last step into becoming a place of desolation in your heart. It is fearful reservation. That I'm going to reserve what I have in fear that I'm going to lose it. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little hint. I don't want to spoil it because this is an amazing point for Nick. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Shh. Sometimes the thing that you're actually reserving is what God asks you to sacrifice so that the promise can come. And we see a fearful reservation. Pastor Johnson talked about some of the tactics of the enemy, some of the lies. And I believe one of the greatest lies that he leads, especially ministry leaders in, is just reserve a little for yourself. Don't give it all. Don't give it all. Don't put yourself out there completely. Just surely don't empty your bank account and be all in at this church because if you're going to do that, I mean, what happens if you don't get along with the, the next pastor or, you know, you have to go do something else and you won't have a reserve? Reserve it because you don't want to be without when you're going to need it. See, it's this lie. Fearful reservation. I need to hang on to this because if, if everything were to go south, this is the thing that, that would keep me going. Because if I didn't have this thing, I would just, I would completely die. Fearful, fearful reservation. I just want to be vulnerable for a second. This is a place where the enemy tries to attack me personally. Last year at the One Association meeting, uh, Danielle and I, we were pregnant. And in the middle of the meeting, and just so you guys know, I know many of you are not unfamiliar with this. Uh, we've had two miscarriages before. I know that's something that we've been battling through together as one body. 
in the middle of the meeting, my wife started to bleed. And see, we've seen this before. And I could feel the Spirit saying, no, press into me right now. Don't be fearful. Don't reserve anything. Press into me because I am going to show you the way. And I'm telling you, we pressed into the Lord, our dear friends, Nick, came around us. Some other friends came around us and we just began singing to the Lord. And by the grace of God, Phineas is now five months old. Amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. But there's these soft spots that we have that the enemy is always trying to press. Saying, hey, remember last time? Remember last time when you lost the baby? You just need to hold back. Just go back to the hotel room. Then you can pastor your wife through this. You just reserve a little bit because if you pour out right now for other people, you're going to have nothing left for her and you're going to be a terrible husband. See, it's all to get us to, to, to get in this mindset of I have to control what's around me. This goes back to the beginning. Instead of us Letting our belief drive what we see. It's letting what we see drive our belief. And the enemy is going to try to attack us in this through fearful reservation. Is there something that you're trying to reserve out of fear in your life? You try to reserve it or you try to preserve it. I wrote this down. In idolatry... We'll try to control what we love and we protect what we control. Did you know that we can make the promises of God, the promises of ministries, the promises of, of, of whatever, we can actually make the promises an idol. See, desolate hearts grow when we love the promise more than the promise maker. You see what I'm saying? desolate heart will start to form and will start to solidify when we actually become more about the promise than the promise maker. And maybe there's been a promise that God has spoken to you, a call that he's placed on your life, and I hope that is true. But if you were more in love with your call than the call giver, you have missed it, and your heart is walking into a desolate place. The Lord restores desolate hearts. Amen. You know, there's many different ways that desolation can happen. If you think about the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that was desolation in a second. Right? 210,000 people killed in a moment, 93% of their hospitals, 90% of their doctors and nurses were wiped out instantaneously, caused death and cancer and miscarriages and all sorts of problems for years and years to come. That's desolation in a moment. There are some people whose hearts are desolate as a result of a moment. Something happened in a moment and ever since then, your heart has been desolate. And then there's the desolation that we see when we look around us in the country. If we'll look with the right eyes in our country, in this country. 
Let's say that the inheritance that the founding fathers wanted to give us revolved around freedom, liberty, peace, worshiping the Lord. Let's say that it revolved around that. Never did we expect that every baby born would be born into $42,000 worth of debt, that over half the marriages would end in divorce, that we would be divided over every single petty issue possible, that denominations would continue to form and form, and divisions would form and form and form, and we would become so divided that we are completely ineffective at reaching the world that we've been sent to reach. And we can say this, we could get up here and just say that all day long for the whole conference and say, don't get involved in petty disputes. Don't get involved in civilian affairs. And the very people who nod their heads, yes, that's wise, will go home and start just doing keyboard warfare. When people say that Jesus got involved in the conversations that were happening in the culture, yes, he did, but he silenced the conversation when he was done. We jump in and pick sides. He gave that third option that shut it down. Stone her or obey the law. I'm going to take the penalty on myself. Everybody walks away. Pay taxes to Caesar and be a traitor or don't pay taxes and be a lawbreaker. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Shut it down. That's not what's happening. So hear me today, Christ follower. If you are getting involved in civilian affairs, are you shutting it down the way Jesus did? Or are you simply becoming part of the argument, the battle going back and forth? We don't need to give our opinion about everything. Part of maturity is realizing how few things actually need your opinion. We don't need to continue speaking out what we feel. This is how spirituality has crept into the church. This new age, this month. When we do self-care, just like we were talking about, this is starting to get me fired up, this idea of self-care. Because what it actually translates into is the fearful reservation. We end up holding back what we think we'll need to make sure that we can get through. This was Jacob's problem. He's telling his whole family, we're not going back down there because I'm looking at all you guys and Benjamin is the only thing keeping me alive. And if this might cost us Benjamin, it's not worth it. But we'll all starve. It doesn't matter. You don't know the hardships that I've been through. This was life and death for him. It's life and death for us. If we don't recognize... That living without reservation for Jesus is the only way we will starve to death pitifully missing the provision that God actually has for us. He is calling us to this tonight. In 2 Corinthians 3.10, let's go there real quick. We're going to do a little rapid fire. Come on, look at this. 1 Corinthians 3, 10. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. He's talking about the law versus the ministry of the Spirit. When you compare the ministry of the Spirit 
with the law, the glory that the law has pales in comparison to the point that he says has no glory. Did it really have no glory? No, but when you compare it with this, it's almost as if it has no glory. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He is comparing the glory that they'll receive for eternity to the light and momentary troubles. Paul is saying that his troubles were light and momentary. Were they light and momentary? When you look at it compared to the glory, yes. The comparison has to be there. We're going somewhere. Go to Romans 8, 18. Come on, listen to this. Romans 8, 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. One more, Philippians 3, 8. We're doing this for a reason. Look at Philippians 3.8. It says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. All the accolades... All the awards, all the positions, the offices, the power is garbage. Why? Because he's comparing it to knowing Christ. If Jacob could grasp the idea of what was waiting for him, he would consider his life there hanging on to Benjamin. He would consider it garbage compared to seeing Joseph... And saving his whole family. The problem is he's not recognizing what's in front of him. He's not seeing clearly. He doesn't understand what's actually in reserve for him in Christ. What's waiting for him there is the son he thought he lost. What's waiting for him there is provision. Is protection is all the things that he had thought were dead come to life again. Amen. When you introduce the comparison, that's worth leaving everything behind. Now that these guys have seen the region where they're going, taking trips there, paying the cost, leaving things behind, taking all the sick days that they have available, paying any price is nothing. Compared to what's in front of them and they can see it. When you can see it, that's when you can live a life of obedience and sacrifice. The problem with the desolate hearts, if there are desolate hearts in here, the problem is you don't know what that comparison is yet. So the light and momentary troubles don't feel light and momentary. It feels crippling, paralyzing, crushing. It feels impossible. That's the problem that we're facing. And so since, since we're living in that, 
We come here and we associate ourselves. But in reality, what's happening is we're padding ourselves to introduce comfort. Because we hear people talking about obedience and sacrifice. We get it. It makes sense up here. But we're not comparing it with anything. So we feel bad for ourselves and we live in that victim mentality. And we say, you just don't understand. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm carrying. You don't know how hard this is. Everybody just needs to leave me alone. And who suffers? You suffer and those around you suffer because you're stuck feeling sorry for yourself and thinking that this is as good as it's going to get. You don't realize that there's something that God has in store for you. And if you could see it, all this would pale in comparison. Come on, let's go back and let's finish because Jacob doesn't stay stunned. Let's go to Genesis 46. 45. I want to tell you for those of us with eyes to see what we're about to read in Genesis 45, I believe is also a picture of when the Lord returns. I want, I want you to read this with the understanding that Jacob up until this point has lived with a desolate heart. Has lived with a heart that was stunned in disbelief. The promises that God had given him were this. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you were lying. It was a certain place. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth spreading out to the north, south, east, and west. Had that happened yet? No. That matters because everyone on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Had that happened yet? No, I am with you and will watch over you and will bring you back to this land that might still happen. But listen, this was the promise that he could have held on to. He says, I won't leave you until I've done what I've promised. Hear that. Those of us with desolate hearts. I won't leave you until I've done what I've promised. The first step is recognizing desolation. Recognize that you're in a spot where we are blind. We are in need of deliverance. We are in need of saving. We're in need of rescuing. Today, I am in need of saving today. I'm in need of salvation today, right now. And if I don't acknowledge that, I can't be rescued, restored. I can't move out of the place that I currently am. Listen to what Jacob says. Let's start back again in 25. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Can you imagine? The last time that Jacob saw Joseph, he was around 17. And now the brothers are saying, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them. When they told him everything that the Savior of the world had said to them. And when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back. Come on. The spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. 
He saw the provision. He heard the truth. He saw that a way had been made. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And he left everything. Why? Because provision had been made for him. And the little that he had been holding on to was multiplied exponentially. In fact, he had no lack of anything. He had everything that he needed waiting for him as soon as he would be revived, believe, and move forward. It says in chapter 46, 1, it says, So Israel took his journey with all that he had. It came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. He leaves nothing behind. Amen. He takes everything. There is a full commitment to sing salvation face to face. Nothing is left behind. I'm gathering up all my people, all my things. I'm forgetting the reservations that I've made, and I am moving forward fully committed. The way we are going to move forward together is by being fully committed. Amen. Are you fully committed to seeking the Savior? Are you fully committed? Is there anything in you that's like, you know what, but, but if, it gets, if it gets to this point, then I'm done. Because Jacob was fully committed to seeking the son. You see where I'm going? Yeah. Fully committed. It's crazy because when you think about Jacob thought his son was dead. And everything that was happening to Joseph behind the scenes is promotions and this these honors because here's the truth that you can think something is dead where God is actually delivering you might think it is dead but God is growing you might think it is dead but God is defending you may say no this is dead but God is developing and God is deepening he had no idea. It says in verse 28. It says he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot. Went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. This kind of always reminds me of the scene in Elf where he sees his dad again. He's like, Daddy? Dad? You remember that? It's actually funny how the ESV says it. It says he fell on his neck. Could you imagine if he was actually running and he fell on his neck and then he, it was like, that's how it ended? But he like runs and he wraps his arms around his dad's neck. 
This is what Israel said in verse 30. It said, Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. See, he didn't see the promise fulfilled. But here's the truth. We don't need to see the promise fulfilled. We just need to see the face of the Son. You don't need to see all these promises that God has spoken to you fulfilled. You just need to see the face of the Son, Jesus Christ. And you will be at a place where you can say, Everything fails to meet what I just saw when I was standing face to face with Jesus Christ. Nothing can be the same. Because I have seen Jesus face to face. That is enough for me. My life can end now. I don't care about the fulfillment of these things. And he's in good company because Hebrews 11.13 says that these, and it goes through the cloud of witnesses, it says these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. But guess what? They saw the face of their God and that was enough for them is seeing the face of Jesus enough for you you want to know how a desolate heart is shattered in pieces it gets shattered when you stand face to face with your creator Jesus Christ and so I want the worship team to come up right now and so we have no agenda at this point. We have no agenda. Our hope and our prayer of what would take place right now is that people would see the face of Jesus Christ and have a resolve in their heart that this is all I need. And so if you can just stand with me right now. listen in a little bit we're gonna we can keep praying for people to be filled with the spirit for healings for tongues we can pray with you for repentance we can pray for salvation we can do all those things but i want to just 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 focus on one thing right now if the lord revealed to you that you are in fact operating with a desolate heart i want you to come forward right now come on That your heart is feeling numb toward the things of the Lord. Come on, let's make room. Come on, let the Lord do heart surgery right now. He wants to revive your heart. He wants to restore your heart. He wants to give you a new heart and put you back on your feet. I want you to pray. I want you to say, Jesus, show me your face. 
show me your face. Any idols that are coming up, bury them right now and watch a king be born. Repent of your limited love. Repent of the reservation that you've hung on to for so long. What I believe the Lord is going to break strongholds of a reservation mentality right now. Is there any sin that you've been sheltering in your life? Bury it right now. Show us your face, Jesus. Jesus, we say you are enough. You are enough for us. God, we trust that you are going to fulfill what you have spoken to us. God, and we say if it's not us, let it be our children. And if it's not our children, let it be their children, God. For you are a God of the generations. It is our joy to watch our children rise up and do it better than us, to surpass us. So God, we cling to you in belief. We cling to you in faith. Come on, let the Lord move in your heart right now. Hold nothing back. Let nothing block you. Let nothing stop you.